Welcome to Songcraft. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Beaumont. You're listening to It's 5 O'Clock Somewhere, the subject of a great bit by our guest, comedian Dusty Slade. Dusty Slay hasn't written a song that you've heard, but he's written a lot of jokes, and a lot of those jokes are about songs. Growing up in a trailer park in Opelika, Alabama, Dusty tried his hand at community college before dropping out. His plans to join the Army were foiled by an arrest, so at age 21, he moved to Charleston, South Carolina, where he spent years working as a pesticide salesman while moonlighting as an aspiring comedian at open mic nights. After getting sober in 2012, he got serious about his comedy career. After being voted Best Local Comedian and winning the Charleston Stand-Up Comedy Competition two years in a row, Dusty eventually relocated to Nashville, where he continued to build his comedy platform with his unique brand of clean comedy with an edge. He became the youngest comedian to ever perform at the Grand Ole Opry, and in 2019, Variety listed him as one of 10 comics to watch. Today, he has close to a half million TikTok followers, a Comedy Central special, and appearances on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel Live. In 2021, Slay appeared on season three of the Netflix comedy special series, The Stand-Ups. He hosts a podcast about drinking, drugs, and religion called We're Having a Good Time, and is a co-host of the popular Nateland podcast alongside fellow Nashville comedians Nate Bargatze, Brian Bates, and Aaron Weber. In April, all four performed at Nashville's Bridgestone Arena to a record-breaking crowd of over 19,000 fans. Part one. Songwriters. You. Hey, you. I'm talking to you. Listening to this podcast, right? You write songs, don't you? You write songs just as good as every song you hear us talking about, don't you? (laughs) Don't you? I know you do. No, you write great songs. Don't you want to have great recordings? There's a way to do it. Send them to Justin and his team of producers at Pearl Snap Studios, and you can have a recording that's actually as good as you think your song is. Man, you are great at the at the ad read. That was good. <laughs> I, you, I was like, I was in. Are you about to call? I was stoked. I've, I've, I'm dialing it right now. Um, <laughs> if you listen to Songcraft, you know that one of our favorite sponsors is Pearl Snap Studios. Go to PearlSnapStudios.com. Find out what they can do for you. You've got a song you need a demo of or maybe even a full-blown master recording. Whatever your recording needs are, write the songs, focus on that, quit trying to be a producer, and let the pros <laughs> handle it. Uh, they're going to do a great job for you. And you know what? I said, you know, you feel like you got songs that are better than the guests you hear on here. Well, today we're talking to a comedian, so you may actually have better songs than Dusty Slay has written. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, uh, you know, stick around to find out why the heck we're having a comedian on a songwriting podcast. And in the meantime, go to pearlsnapstudios.com and tell them Songcraft sent you. So, Scott, why are we having a comedian on our songwriting podcast? <laughs> Very good question. Yeah. And something that people might be wondering. So here's the thing. Here at Songcraft, we are willing to try some different stuff. We're willing to think outside the box. Yes, we are. Dusty Slay is a very funny comedian. Uh, I probably first became aware of him through Nate Bargatze, mm-hmm. um, who's another very funny also comedian. Also hilarious. Yeah. And uh, there's a podcast called Nate Land uh, that Nate hosts uh, with a couple of other comedians, well, three other comedians who mm-hmm. are all Nashville-based. Dusty Slay is one of them. That's uh, one of the many things that Dusty does, and that's how I first uh, became aware of him. But I wound up stumbling on some stuff online where Dusty was riffing on some song lyrics. And 
it was very funny and very insightful. And I thought that's exactly what Paul and I do yeah. uh, at the beginning of Songcraft is we riff on things like song lyrics. But he's not, actually funny. Yeah. He, yeah. he doesn't just think he's right. funny like we do. He actually is funny. Yeah. So uh, also listening to Nate Land, occasionally those guys will start talking about music. And it's clear that of the four of them, Dusty is the only one who knows anything about music. Uh, so I thought and, and they did an episode where they were talking about some of their favorite country songs. And he was mentioning some things that I'm like, Oh, this guy's like legit into like great songs and great songwriting. So I thought, what if we just took a left turn on Songcraft and instead of interviewing a songwriter, the show is called spotlight on songwriters. It's not called interviews with songwriters. Uh, let's put the spotlight on a songwriter in a different way through the lens of a comedian, because you got a guy who has some great, funny insights about lyrics and songs. He also, it lives in the same world in terms of writing songs and writing jokes and sure. getting on a stage and entertaining people and engaging people and touching them in some way, whether it's to make them laugh or to pull on their heartstrings. There's a lot of uh, cross currents there. So I thought we're taking a kind of a wild shot here to see if this will work. But after speaking with Dusty, I, th- I think it's, it's really fun and it, yeah. it totally works. So we're not, we're not becoming a comedy podcast, but this just felt like a fun thing to do just for the heck of it. Well, I think it's clear to anyone who's heard us talk and joke around that we're not starting a comedy podcast. I mean, <laughs> even if we wanted to, yeah, we we've done the best we can and that, right. and, and you've heard it folks. It's not comedy. Um, <laughs> But, you know, Dusty really comes to this with, with a true fan perspective. Um, and, and I think that's the way you and I have, have always come at this podcast anyway. Even though we've both done our fair share of songwriting, um, we both come to this as music fans. It's kind of yeah. why we do the podcast. That's why it's so much fun to talk to these folks. And for that same reason, we go to a lot of shows. That's true. And you and I have been to a lot of different shows and some, sometimes together all the way back to, you know, when we were kids. And you and I went to something a few weeks back. Uh, you went to both nights. I went to one night. The Willie Nelson 90th birthday extravaganza at yeah. the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, the talent that was assembled for this. The, oh, the yeah. stars that came out from Chris Christopherson to Neil Young and Stephen Stills to Chris Stapleton, Sergio Simpson, Nora Jones. The Chicks. Uh, yeah. Uh, George Strait. Keith Richards. I mean, the it, it was crazy. And I started asking myself, is this the greatest assembly of talent that I've ever seen on a single stage for hmm. a single event? You know, and there have been a few. I, I, I was thinking back to a few things that I've been to. One, one of the, Before this, I would have said the Sound City Players. Right. When I saw that show at the Palladium, Dave Grohl put together a bunch of artists who had recorded at Sound City uh, when he was doing the documentary on Sound City. And... You know, in the house band uh, was a couple of the Foo Fighters guys. The drummer for Rage Against the Machine was in the house band. And then uh, brought out people like John Fogarty to wow. sing lead. Stevie Nicks. Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick was there. Rick Springfield was there. Uh, and then, of course, Dave was there with Chris Novoselic and Pat Smear, kind of a mini Nirvana reunion. And right. at, at that point, I thought that, that might have been the best I've ever seen. Yeah. But this Willie thing might have taken the cake. I mean, yeah, just in terms of the number of, I mean, the fact that they even had to do it over two nights right. to make the full concert, which wound up being like, what, six hours in, in total or something, uh, that there's that many people who are A-listers that want to pay tribute to Willie. Even the MCs of the show were like Ethan Hawke, Helen Mirren, uh, uh, Owen Wilson, yeah. Woody Harrelson at, at the the second night. And it was just like, even just the movie star, Jennifer Garner, like you had yeah. these people and you go, what's the connection? It's just people love 
Willie. And I, and I think that Willie crosses genres. I mean, back to back. Uh, so the, the concerts both nights began with people coming out and kind of paying tribute to Willie. And then both nights, Willie comes out and does some performances with other artists. Yeah. Um, so I think it speaks to Willie's appeal and to his fan base. You know, when you're talking about being a fan that uh, on the first night, he, he did duets with George Strait. And then the next artist to come out and do out with him was Snoop Dogg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it speaks to just how wide ranging that this guy, the impact he's had. And I would say not only is Willie Nelson one of the great country artists, Willie Nelson is arguably one of America's greatest living songwriters in any genre yeah. across the board. And uh, it's, it's just cool to gather with a huge crowd of people like that to, uh, kind of pay tribute to this guy. It's also really cool that we happened to get tickets through a friend of mine that were, uh, we could have easily thrown a tennis ball onto the stage. We, we were, were very, very close. Very close. Yeah. I've never been to anything that close to the Hollywood bowl. You're right about the appeal and kind of the power of Willie and his personality and his legend, because as I'm running through my mind, what are some other amazing, you know, uh, assemblies of talent and I think about Live Aid right yeah I mean Live yeah. Aid was incredible Farm Aid they did that for Africa I mean that was the reason like, <laughs> right. we were going to try to end world hunger yeah and this is just we want to tell Willie happy birthday yeah, right right yeah. <laughs> you brought out a Live Aid type lineup right to say happy birthday to yeah. a dude who is in fairness turning 90 and is still on the stage performing uh, which is amazing. and doing it well yeah um, now I, I'm, I'm wanted to check with you because I wasn't sure if my senses, uh, are correct or not. I thought I detected maybe some people smoking some marijuana at really? this show. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you pick up on that? No, I, I, you know, I saw, uh, a couple college kids with some cloves. I thought, uh, you know, yeah. that they might've been smoking, <laughs> but no, I, I didn't what. No idea. Yeah. No, I think I, th I thought I smelled a bit of the jazz cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> reefer? That the, the, really? Yeah, reefer madness, you know, that the kids are, are messing around with these days. Well, you know what? They did, and this is not a joke, but they did run out of food. <laughs> 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 yeah. it's like, can I get a snack? Nope. Uh, the snacks are all gone. We were actually talking earlier about, it's interesting that this didn't happen in Nashville. Right. Um, because, you know, you think, well, you know, Willie is most associated with country music. Why wouldn't the big Willie tribute be in Nashville as opposed to Los Angeles? And basically like you can't smoke weed in right. Tennessee uh, legally. I think that's uh, why they did public it anyway. Yeah. So, um, but in California, uh, you, you can, I, I guess. I we also don't know if Willie's got some issues with the Tennessee tax bureau or anything like that. Too. Like it, <laughs> right. Yeah. You never know a what lot might, of reasons what why might be involved, yeah. but yeah, I think in you and I talked about this, that watching Steven Stills and Neil Young play for what it's worth together. I mean, yeah. these guys were in Buffalo Springfield together. Um, and to see them on stage playing for what it's worth. And I'm going to be honest, folks, it was not good sonically. <laughs> and, and actually, it's probably the only performance across both nights that, that wasn't, wasn't solid. Yeah. Like e the, the yeah. mix was incredible. Whoever did the sound was amazing. Uh, but it didn't sound good. Um, when but it, seeing it was unreal. Yes. When it came to Neil and Steven, I will say this cause they did long may you run before that. Yeah. Which sounded worse. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it, it, they were, they were wrestling with that song right. and the bass player never, they, they, there was no bass on the song. The bass player was just like yeah. plugging and it's unplugging. Plugged, and, yeah. yeah. It didn't work. So by the time they got to, for what it's worth, I was like, okay, yeah, 
This actually does. <laughs> right. This actually does sound, <laughs> sound better. better. Yeah, yeah. But still, but, compared yeah. To, compared to Chris Stapleton singing "Always on My Mind," oh my gosh, which was kind of a showstopper for me, and yeah. uh, hearing Lucas Nelson sing "Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground," yeah, like his uh, dead on impression of his dad fifty right. years ago. I mean, it yeah. was. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Just the moment of seeing Stills and Young on stage together and knowing all that history, yeah, and how I mean, how rare that type of reunion yeah. is, yeah, yeah, was stunning. I mean, he's gonna be wanging away on some solo and stomping around, <laughs> sucking on his harmonica, but he's Neil Young. He's totally. Neil freaking Young, totally. And he's there, you know. And, and then the next night, Keith Richards Insane. coming out to to duet with Willie and uh, somebody had a great line on the second night. They said, I can't remember who it was, but they said that it was the first time they were going to sing live with Willie and Christopherson pulled them aside from the side of the stage and goes, don't try to sing with him. Just try to sing louder than him. <laughs> he's such a stylist, <laughs> yeah, you know, totally. but, uh, but Christopherson also, he and Roseanne Cash did a duet. Yeah. Uh, if loving her was easier the first night. And then the second night he and Nora Jones did, um, help me make it through the night and man, people were crying. I yeah. mean, just to see Christopherson out there and, and you know, do those duets. It was, uh, it was really, really special. And I think as you say, like, that's a night where you, you go, man, this this house band is incredible. Yeah. Don Was was the band leader. Ben Montench from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers playing keys. Uh, Audley Freed, who I understand is a friend of the pod. He listens regularly. Hi, Audley. Yep. Um, it's uh, very cool to know that you listen to the show. He was playing guitar. I mean, the, the Mickey Raphael from, from Willie's band was playing harmonica. It was a great band. The Sonics were incredible, as I said. The mix was incredible. It was amazing how smoothly they... They did the production, but all that is, is analytics, right? All that is like our kind of music nerd, you know, sort of like, well, they did a very good job uh, executing <laughs> right, this, which right. must've been difficult. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, like it, as a fan, it was just a fan experience yeah. to just be immersed. And it's like every person that they brought out is like everyone after the next year is going, Oh my gosh, totally. like who are they going to bring out next? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think just as a fan experience, it was a reminder of just the pure thrill of being in a crowd at a live concert and listening to great music yeah. and honoring somebody who has just been so important to American music. And so just that's the type of conversation that we're having today with our friend Dusty Slay. Yeah. We're some fans getting around talking about music and talking about songwriting and even how that discipline kind of intersects with what he does as a comedian. So I'd say buckle in, grab a little popcorn or whatever you take to a comedy show uh what do you take to a comedy show i think something fried in a basket would be what you would eat Perfect. At, a, at a comedy popcorn show. shrimp uh, <laughs> gross and uh yeah let's do it yeah absolutely dusty always says we're having a good time that's his his catchphrase and he said when he comes on stage he goes we're having a good time and he says you know most comedians ask are we having a good time but he goes i can't risk that i just like to <laughs> i'd rather tell people than ask people and that's sort of become his uh his his kind of catch thing that he he says and uh i gotta tell you after spending a little time with dusty and talking about country music we were having a good time part two dusty welcome to songcraft i'm pumped to be here this is just uh one more step uh, into weaseling my way into a music career, even though I can't play instruments or sing. There you go. <laughs> uh, but I love music. I used to listen to comedy a little bit as a kid, but I grew up in Alabama. And it's like, music seemed like something I could do, mm. even though there was no real talent being shown. But I ne it never occurred to me that I could be a comedian. 
you know, so it was like, I almost felt like I should be a musician, but it just kind of happened. I'm better at comedy than I am at music, but I love being a part. I love uh, being in the music world. Uh, I've done the Grand Old Opry a bunch of times. uh, And so... Uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, it's funny how there's actually a bit of overlap, I, I think, almost in the perception of those careers. I'm, you talk about listening to music as a kid. I remember listening to Eddie Murphy, Delirious, on cassette as a kid. And the, at the first time I watched any of those specials, like Raw or whatever, I, I remember thinking, this guy's a rock star. You know, this is not oh, like, yeah. you know, what, what my parents would have seen, what version of comedian they saw. This guy was a legitimate rock star. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I wish I was doing what Eddie Murphy was doing, but um, I can't pull off the leather suit. The leather suit, yeah. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting you mentioned the Opry because um, uh, Gary Muldeer and Henry Cho were just invited to be members of the Grand Ole Opry, and I think they were the first comedians since Jerry Clower 50 years ago to be invited to be full-on members of the Opry, but the, the Grand Ole Opry's tradition, Minnie Pearl is the most... Uh, well-known example, but there's a tradition of the Grand Ole Opry uh, really including comedy as part of country music culture. Comedy is interwoven. I mean, if, you know, people who are our age probably watch Hee Haw when they were a kid, there's something about comedy that's interwoven in country music in a way that I don't think exists in any other genre. No, I don't think so either, you know, and I'm I'm the new incarnation of uh, uh, Minnie Pearl, you know, she wore a hat, I wore a hat, she said, howdy, I go, we're having a good time, you know, so, uh, <laughs> so I'm bringing, I'm, I'm new age Minnie Pearl here, I'm bringing it back. Yeah. I've often well, thought that. <laughs> well, so I got it, you know, I, I like country music, and then I got into, um, you know, I'm always trying to dig around for material. And one day I was listening to this song, um, It's Five O'Clock Somewhere, right? Yeah. And I and I had a, a line that I came up with that was never, it was not getting laughs, but it was really funny to me because I used to drink a lot. And I said, <laughs> you know, uh, I said, I like the song It's Five O'Clock Somewhere because like Alan Jackson, I don't like to let my personal responsibilities get in the way of my alcoholism, right? <laughs> and uh, I thought it was so funny, right? But it would never make an audience laugh. So I was like, all right, well, let's, Let's dig a little deeper. Let's get in there and let's see what I might find in the song. Now, I used to sell pesticides for a living. I sold to Lowe's and Home Depot, and I used to drink a lot. I haven't drank in about 10 years, but I used to drink a lot. And so I would go to work hungover all the time, and I was always, you know, complaining about this and that, but mainly, you know, my own fault. So as I'm listening to this song, I'm I'm kind of like, the way I like to take... Uh, you know, making fun of a song is that um, I like to, you know, figure out who the character is in the song and then kind of make fun of that character where it's nothing to do with the songwriting. I got to meet uh, Jim Moose Brown um, uh, at Zany's. He's one of the writers of It's Five O'Clock Somewhere, and he came to uh, see my show and he really liked the joke, the breakdown. Uh, So that's fun. But um, so I don't I'm not trying to make fun of the song. But I am like seeing who this character is in this song, and I started to see myself in him. And so that's what prompted me. I was just going to do an internet video. And so I just I said the whole joke to myself on, on a video. And then I thought, well, maybe we'll try this on stage. I had never done anything, especially this long. The bit's about eight minutes. So I thought, well, let's just give it a try one day and see what happens. So, you know, before that, I had, I had done some other songs. I talked a little bit about uh, That Summer by Garth Brooks for a little while. That's an interesting song. Uh, I did um, a little bit of, um, 
How Do You Like Me Now by Toby Keith. That's another pretty interesting character. <laughs> but it's five o'clock somewhere, you know. I always say a song that justifies drinking any time of the day. You know, you just say <laughs> right. it's five o'clock and it's okay. <laughs> right. You know. The sun is hot and that old clock is moving slow. And so am I. Workday passes like molasses in wintertime. But it's July. I'm getting paid by the hour and older by the minute. My boss just pushed me over the limit. I'd like to call him something. I think I'll just call it a day. Pour me something tall and strong. Make it a hurricane before I go insane. It's only half past twelve, but I don't care. It's five o'clock somewhere. It's only half past 12, but I don't care. It's five o'clock somewhere. And I'm like, well, that's not true. You know, <laughs> it may be, it may be 530 somewhere. <laughs> right. We don't lose a half hour just because we change time zones. <laughs> yeah. How much are you drinking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, little did I know, uh, I didn't do a lot of research on time zones around the world. So I posted that on the internet and the time zone police really came for me. <laughs> <laughs> they're like matter of fact there's half hour time zones all around the world buddy oh wow and i tried to defend it for a long time but it got exhausting <laughs> but apparently if you're in la at 12 30 it is five o'clock in newfoundland oh uh, wow really so, so i'm sure that's what alan jackson was thinking uh in <laughs> right. the song right i know he didn't write it but i, I <laughs> um so if you listen to it the first couple of times you think hey this uh Hardworking guy, uh, works outside, gets paid hourly, boss is pretty rough on him, you know. Uh, but if you listen to it several times, like I have, you start to realize this guy's an alcoholic, you know. <laughs> He's creating a lot of his own problems. Uh, his boss seems like a pretty cool guy. And honestly, uh, He's got a lot of, you know, he's got a lot of freedoms at his job, right? The song starts off, he's like, the sun is hot and that old clock is moving slow and so am I, right? So right away, hungover at work. (laughs) And you know he's hungover because he keeps talking about it. He's like, the workday passes like molasses in wintertime, but it's July. And it's like, all right, we get it. It's a hot day. You know, we're all out here together. He says, I'm getting paid by the hour, older by the minute, right? So we know he's hourly. Uh, we know he's older. We know he complains about everything. <laughs> and you know that guy. There's always a guy at work. No matter what's going on, he's complaining about everything. He says, my boss just pushed me over the limit. And it's like, imagine that. The guy that comes in hungover <laughs> has a limit. <laughs> and he, he says, uh, uh I'd like to call him something, but I think I'll just call it a day. And it's like, oh, you just get to leave whenever you want. You, know, you stroll in, hungover, boss upsets, you just take off. I think we'd all like that kind of flexibility in our jobs. <laughs> you know? And then he goes to the bar. He has a hur- he has a he doesn't have a beer, he has a hurricane, he says. Tall, strong, right? So this guy this guy's not having a couple of sips. No, that's grain alcohol this guy's in that. Letting it loose. <laughs> And then I say, you know, I say, and then we go to the second verse. And yeah, I'll do the whole song, right? <laughs> That's what I like to say when I do that on stage as my defense, right? Because it, this, I've already broke down a whole verse. So if you're not a country music fan, you're probably like, oh gosh, when is this over? <laughs> right? So when I say, yeah, I'll do the whole song. I feel like it releases attention yeah. of like, okay, great. At least now if they're like, uh, you know, if they're like, 
I don't like this. Maybe now's a good bathroom break. <laughs> right, exactly. But I found for the most part this joke to go really well. I did it for a long time, um, and uh, it, it went well almost every time. Sometimes I'd be a little too far out of the South, I felt like, and nobody, I did it in um, somewhere in L.A., one of the beaches, um, and uh, it did not go great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that might have been uh, Hermosa Beach at the Comedy and Magic Club. I don't think I ever did that there. I feel like it's Venice Beach maybe is where I did it. I don't know. I don't think I ever attempted it at Hermosa Beach. That was a that was a harder room for me. I had fun there. Yeah. Uh, but um, it was a bit of a different crowd out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, so we go to the second verse. This lunch break is gonna take all afternoon and after night tomorrow morning. I know they'll be held to pay. Hey, but that's all right. I ain't had a day off now. Over a year, my Jamaican vacation's gonna start right here. If the phone's for me, you can tell them I just sailed away. And but he's on his lunch break. He's called it a day at lunch. So either he's doing this or he's leaving every day, all the time. And then there's a one line in there I skipped where he says, Tomorrow morning, I know they'll be hell to pay. Hey, but that's all right. And I skipped that line because I didn't know how to add it back in. I had a real nice flow going, so I just glossed over that one. But it's very relatable. I've been out many times drinking and been like, oh, I'll be fine. It's 3 in the morning, and i got to get up at 6, and I'm like, oh, I I do this all the time. I'll be fine. And then 6, I want to cry in the shower, you know? The closest I've ever come to crying as a man, I think, is being hungover, knowing I have to go to work. It's 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 painful. Yeah. And he, he says, uh, he said, I ain't had a day off now in over a year. And it's like, well, maybe you didn't leave at lunch every day. Uh, we might not need you on the weekends. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, it sounds like your boss just trying to help you get your hours in. I mean, you're not a salaried employee. He knows you got a drinking problem. Probably try to put a little money in your wallet. <laughs> You know, seems like a cool guy to me. Uh, he says, uh, my ja- my Jamaican vacation's going to start right here. And it's like, that sounds like a weed reference to me, you know? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like uh, somebody being like, hey, I'm about to go out in the parking lot, smoke a joint. Who's coming with me? You know? <laughs> he says, uh, if the phone's for me, you can tell them I just sailed away. And it's like, oh, sailed away, huh? Uh, I said, you're sitting in a bar right now. Uh, the phone's for you. It's probably your boss, probably looking for you, trying to get you to come back to work. <laughs> That's what you want me to tell him? You just it's sailed silly. away? <laughs> you know, you don't want me to be like, I don't know, haven't seen him? <laughs> he's like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he's, he, he was here, and he just he just sailed right away. Yes, <laughs> yes this is still a bar. Uh, no, there ain't no boats in here. I don't know how he did it. He's kind of levitated up, floated right out of here. <laughs> and then we go to the chorus during during this course there's more hurricanes during this course i think the drugs are starting to kick in you know, we had he had a little jamaican vacation so now the drugs are starting to kick in he's starting to get a little paranoid you know starting to be like uh you know maybe i will go back to work maybe i do need this job and he says i could pay off my tab pour myself in a cab and be back to work by two right and it's like great that you're not for drinking and driving right? but you right. can't leave work in your own car and come back in a cab you know <laughs> 
You don't take a two-hour lunch break, smoke a joint, have a couple of hurricanes, be like, you know what? Maybe I will go back to work. I'm starting to feel a lot better. Honestly, my attitude's really improved. <laughs> and then, uh, then it, the song takes a little turn right here. It gets a little weird right here. At a moment like this, I can't help but wonder what would Jimmy Buffett do? Funny you should ask, Alan. <laughs> I'd say, oh, me something tall and strong, make it a hurricane before I go insane. It's only half past twelve, but I don't care. Pour me something tall and strong, make it a hurricane before. It feels like he's taking some harder drugs, some drugs he doesn't tell us about. He's kind of hallucinating. He says, uh, at a moment like this, I can't help but wonder, what would Jimmy Buffett do? Right? And not a weird question, I guess, but weird that Jimmy Buffett answers. Right? I mean, now we're taken out of our reality. Before, this was not Alan Jackson. This was a blue-collar worker. Now this guy, all of a sudden, this guy's drinking at the same bar with Alan Jackson. You know, Jimmy Buffett tells him to keep drinking. You know, And that's really what you want from Jimmy Buffett. You, know, you got a real drinking problem. If Jimmy Buffett pops up and goes, you know what? You should probably shut it down. Uh, and then they talk about boats for a while, and then, uh, and then the song just ends. We don't really know what happens. Uh, I never had a good ending for, this, for the joke, but I realized, you know, Alan Jackson, Jimmy Buffett hanging out. Maybe they floated off to Margaritaville or Perfect. maybe way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, uh, where it gets hotter than a hoochie coochie. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> oh, man. Wait, you know, have you ever stopped to ask yourself what you think this guy actually does for work? Like what kind of job he's going back to? Because they did a pretty good job of not telling us in the lyric. <laughs> You know, that's true. I, I don't know that I, I just always assumed he was just doing some kind of construction job. Yeah, the heat And matters. I don't know why I thought that, but. Yeah, you uh, you did a series of videos that are on YouTube that people can go look at um, three or four years ago called uh, Top Five Country Songs About. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, some of it's like kind of funny stuff and, and some of it's not like, comedy it's just you talking about you know you have a thing like top five country songs written by shell silverstein which i think is pretty cool a lot of people don't realize that shell silverstein the children's book author you know was a was a songwriter as well um and then you know you've got uh one called uh uh top five country songs where the name of the song is someone's name which that's just kind of a funny like title of the thing but then your actual talking about the songs isn't like really hamming it up like it comes across that you genuinely love country music oh yeah i mean well that's what was so fun about those because i can't i mean there's ads on them but i can't monetize them so i don't make any money off those videos not that i'm making a bunch of money off youtube anyway but i can't make anything off those but i like doing those it's really fun and i feel like i'm exposing people to uh music that they wouldn't normally listen to and the one about with a title is someone's name Everybody says I should have put Jolene in there, uh, but the reason I didn't put Jolene is I had a, a new top five that I wanted to do, and I was going to put Jolene in there. So I didn't want to put Jolene in every song. <laughs> right. um, but it's like I have Trudy uh, from uh, you know the Charlie Daniels Band uh, in that song, which is a song I discovered much later in life. I had the super hits of Charlie Daniels growing up, but I yeah. found Trudy later, and I'm like, oh man, this is like the best song. Yeah, And I don't feel like... You know, growing up, nobody that I was around knew about that song. I'm not going to say no one knows about it. It's obviously a, a big song, but yeah. no one I was growing up around knew it. So I loved 
you know, I love, he has like almost like a Quentin Tarantino style of writing on that song where it gives you, you know, gives you piece by piece and then they come together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you mentioned Charlie Daniels and I know that, uh, long haired country boy is, is a favorite of yours as well. And listening, you know, on the super hits, of course, I'm sure devil went down to Georgia is probably one of the top two or three songs. And I'm just, I'd like to get your take on this. I've spent my life trying to tell anyone who will listen that the devil actually won that fiddle off. Like I don't, I don't think that Johnny really bested him. Uh, do you have a take on that? Well, I guess it's up to interpretation, really. But it seems like the devil had a whole band with him. I don't Multiple know why he gets a full too. on band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess I mean, all the all the yeah. demons of hell. I mean, it was just like a a, a fiery brigade. To, but yeah. <laughs> to me, I just that's a whole a... different song. If the devil wins, though, that, we're not <laughs> singing true. that yet. <laughs> You're like, oh no, what happened to Johnny? After that? <laughs> <laughs> the devil got his soul. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. An interesting thing, like talking about like writing songs and, you know, there's people who get on stage, they write songs, they get on stage, they perform the songs as fans, as listeners, we kind of take for granted, right? That like, oh, someone at one point was sitting in a room or on a bus or in a hotel and they were, they made that up, you know, like it's crazy to think about some of our songs, favorite songs, you know, like we're being created at one point and it didn't just exist. And there's something very similar about, you know, comedy. Like you see these guys get up on stage and, you know, if it's a good comedian, it almost seems like it's off the cuff and it's conversational. But the fact is that every bit of it is perfectly, you know, planned. You can't just get up there and like go wild. Like you have to write the material. Um, and as somebody who obviously writes a lot of comedy material, I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts about how you think writing comedy, you know, as a comedian, you're obviously not speaking as a songwriter, but how might writing comedy be kind of uh, a similar or different discipline? Because they're both very much creative disciplines. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, uh, I don't know, I feel like a lot of my joke writing, at least early on, was inspired by the fact that I liked music so much, where it would be a bit of a bit instead of just something really loose. As I've gone along, I have gotten a little looser with it. A looser as I'm writing a joke. I'm almost just throwing stuff out there on stage. And then when something hits, when it's like, ooh, that's what we want, um, then that becomes the joke. You know, and then I then I almost I don't necessarily do a lot of physical writing, but I just remember how the joke was. And then I just do it like that every time. Once I find a spot where I get a laugh, um, I feel like, oh, that's the spot. That's what we want. And I feel like, you know, I heard Brooks and Dunn talking on just some uh, bit in between its songs on Sirius XM. And they were talking about when they got paired up, they were, uh, Ronnie Dunn was already writing Brand New Man, but he had it called A Changed Man. And so he's, he told Kix what he had, he played it for him. And then he was like, well, what if you said, you know, Brand New Man? Uh, and it's just like, and then when they when they played it and they heard it, they were like, "Ooh, that's it." Huh. And I think that's what it is for comedy too, where it's like, but it, but the audience tells you what that is, huh. you know. Wow. And it's like still sometimes something to me can seem like, "Oh, that's too obvious," or "That's too generic of a joke." Where I'm like, I, I don't want to keep telling that that way. But for now, it's getting me a laugh. And it's like, with the five o'clock somewhere, it's like, I have to have these laugh points. Because if it gets too quiet too long, people are checking out. They're yeah. like, this is not a good bit. 
I start sweating. I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. But so as long as I got little spots in there where I can get laughs all throughout, um, then then it'll keep me going. Uh, and and it's like I've not written a song that anyone's ever played. Uh, I have written things, so it would be tough to to you know really say if this is how they write songs or not. Yeah. But I just think about people in these writer circles. They all play their songs for each other. Uh, in the same way, comics go down to open mics. And we're, you know, and a lot of those times we're not sitting in a circle. We're basically telling those jokes to other comics. Yeah. What's interesting, you know, you, you think about sort of the evolutionary nature of, of what you do. When, when an artist puts a song on a record and that song comes out, it's kind of cemented at that point. Um, like I, I've even noticed, like we, we went to see Pearl Jam together a few months back and the songs where Eddie Vedder used to sing the word daddy, he now sings the word father for whatever reason. He's just sort of, and, and this, this girl that we grew up with sent a message after, I don't like how he does that now. You know, it's been 30 years since the record came out and she's still mad that he's not singing it like he sang it in 91. Yeah. But I feel like unless you put out the Netflix special, your jokes are probably still, the, the cement is still wet. If you decide next time out, you know what? After the last few times I've done this, this hasn't gotten the reaction I wanted. I can shift it and change it where I, you're almost stuck with a song. Like, ah, that's the way I put it out. I got to sing it like that for the next 50 years. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the great thing. You're absolutely right. I mean, as long as because I've had jokes where where I would they would be you know they would be uh, you know this long and then as I go on I whittle it down and whittle it down until it gets to its funniest point and then when it's at that funny point then you start adding tags you start adding new things to the joke so then it, it grows again huh. uh, but it's like once you put it out the difference being uh, you know no one wants to hear me tell my uh, Pearl Jam joke 30 years later. And if <laughs> right. I do tell it 30 years later, I better have changed some words. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. You, you need a whole different, you need a whole different uh, routine. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Once it gets put out, I mean, especially on a big, like when I did my first couple of late nights, I was like, well, I still like those jokes. I'm going to keep doing them. But like once I put out the half hour on Netflix, I was like, I pretty much can't do any of those jokes anymore. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I, that's know. that's interesting because when you think about like musicians versus comedians, like if if I'm going to go see, you know, the Rolling Stones and then the Rolling Stones come out and they go, we're doing all new songs tonight. You know, the whole place oh, would yeah. be like, Boo. what? Like, no, we want to hear Satisfaction. We want to hear Street Fighting Man. Like, we, you know, we're not here to hear your your new songs. It's literally the opposite for a comedian, like if you went out and did a bunch of jokes that you've had out there, people would be like, why did I pay to come hear this? I've already heard this stuff. So it's, I would imagine there's an incredible pressure to write as a comedian because people don't want the greatest hits. They always want that next thing. That's true. But, you know, in my experience, the thing that uh, it keeps you sharp is writing new jokes to where it's like uh, somebody told me that if you're just out here working the road all the time, you know, you can get your hour and then that's your hour that you do, and it's really good, and it crushes, and you just do that all the time. You never put it on TV. You just do that all over the road, and people love it. And and you know, but then when the time comes that you do want to write new jokes, you've stopped working that muscle mm, uh, that has you writing jokes. So now you're like almost starting over writing jokes, uh, and then it's really hard to break out of that. So I like to try to throw new things in all the time. And I just push a little something out and work a new thing in. That's why I like, you know, my plan is I plan to record a special in spring and then release it in fall. And then that those few months in between, uh, 
be sure that I have, you know, a new hour ready to go. Yeah. At least that I'm working on. You know, you mentioned uh, some of these songs, like you, you'll, you'll talk about that you're kind of analyzing the character in the song more than the song itself, like in the in the Five O'Clock Somewhere song, um, where I, th- I think like the Toby Keith song you mentioned, How Do You Like Me Now? To me, that, <laughs> to me, that character is Toby Keith. And, and maybe he's doing a, a better job of projecting than I than I know. Um, you know, when it comes to you know, Bruce Springsteen was great at that as well. Where Bruce Bruce Springsteen never worked on an assembly line, but he cr- was able to create these characters and he had this artistic voice. Um, I wonder if that's the case with comedians as well, where somebody's like, I, I kind of play this this lovable loser on stage, but in reality, I'm actually you know really sophisticated and and wise behind the scenes. Have you ever seen any characters that were sort of played by a comedian you're like okay that's a really effective character they play but i know that's probably not how they really are and number two that would be exhausting to have to be that guy every night yeah i mean to my knowledge every every comedian that i know with exceptions of people that are obviously playing characters um you know there's like a comic named neil hamburger and i don't i can't think of his real name right offhand, but it's a complete character but huh. it's also obviously a character right um I think that personally people can exaggerate. I mean, that's what I've done at certain times with comedy. It's like, that is who I am. And the more I do comedy, the more my my character actually is becoming me. Right. But some of the old stuff would be, you know, I might say that my mom did this, but maybe it's a my my aunt or uncle or grandmother did it. But instead of introducing 50, 50 characters into my bit, right. it's just suddenly my mom doing a bunch of stuff. Or my dad doing a bunch of stuff. That way I'm not like my aunt and then my my second cousin. And and so it's so confusing where it's like useless details. To the listener, they don't care if it's my mom or my aunt or my mom's friend, Cheryl. You know, they just want to hear what that person did. Do you know, like, so it's like, it's not a character, but, you know, there may be slight exaggerations in there. Like, I have a joke where I used to say... um, uh, I never got ice cream growing up. My mom would just pour milk into a bowl, and then she'd call me into the room and go, "Well, you're too late." <laughs> but you know, I grew up in a trailer, but we ate lots of ice cream. Uh, so the truth is, I did have a lot of ice cream. <laughs> um, now, this is fascinating to me because the idea of like, you know, if you're writing a song, you can write a song about a person. Like if you love someone, you can write a song about them and it can be like super overt or it can be like super poetic and, and no one would ever guess what, what prompted that when you're a comedian, you know, you're not trying to be obtuse on stage. You're trying to, like you say, boil it down. Don't get lost in a bunch of details. Keep it sharp. Keep it funny. But a lot of comedians, like they draw from their lives. So you might tell a joke about your mom or maybe it was even something your aunt did, but you, it's going to be your mom in the version. Uh, do you run these things by the, the people in your life? Do you go like, hey, I'm going to tell this joke about you and I'm going to say like, do you kind of like make sure they're cool with it or do you just kind of like, hey, I'm going to go for it? Well, for the most part, I just always just did it. I never ask anyone, but for a long time, none of this stuff was on TV, right? So I was just <laughs> doing it. So it didn't matter. Right. They weren't even at the club to see me doing it. But my mom saw all my old jokes about her. I wrote a couple of other jokes when I had a baby uh, about my mom, and I ran them by her, and she didn't say don't do them, but she didn't 
seem to like them. Right. <laughs> so I just chose to not do it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I did it a couple of times live, but I never would post the videos. I've done a couple of jokes about my grandmother. I do. I've had a lot of jokes about my grandmother. She was kind of mean to me. So I've done a lot of jokes about her. But um, sorry that we laughed when you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But if it's uh, if it's too like personal, where it seems like I'm really taking shots at my grandma, I'm like, well, I don't know. I wouldn't want my mom to see it. Yeah, you know, my grandmother, she's passed. She's never going to see them. But right. she, my mom, will see them, and you know, and I don't. So I try to be respectful. My wife says you can only protect so many people. Somebody you have to write jokes about. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but I, I just try to find, that's why I like breaking down songs and stuff like that. I just try to find material where I'm not like really making fun of people. Yeah. The Toby Keith song, it's interesting you say that because I just made a short version of that and put on TikTok and it's doing pretty well, but I think it's mainly doing well because people seem to not like Toby Keith. And I had no idea. Growing up, my mom, I saw Toby Keith at Opryland when I was probably 12 years old or so. Um, and my mom was in the Toby Keith fan club. And, you know, but this was during the, does that blue moon ever shine on you days? Uh, right. A little less talk and a lot more action. Uh, Should have been a cowboy, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's like, man, People are really like, oh, I'm just here for the Toby Keith hate. And I'm like, oh, I'm just making fun of this character in the song. <laughs> uh, but I think what people are saying is that song is about Toby Keith in high school. Yeah, I was always a crazy one. Broke into the stadium and I wrote your number on the 50-yard line. You were always a perfect one and a valedictorian So under your number I wrote Call for a good time I only wanted to get your attention But you overlooked me somehow Besides you had too many boyfriends to mention And I played my guitar too loud How do you like me now? But it's just, you know, the, the line where he says, when I took off the Tennessee, I heard you made fun of me. Never imagined I'd make it this far. Then you married into money, girl. Ain't it a cruel and funny world? He took your dreams and he tore them apart. He <sighs> says, you, he never comes home and you're, you're all alone and your kids hear you cry down the hall. It's like, whoa, dude, take it easy. <laughs> right, totally. You just had a crush. You had a little beef in high school. Let it go. You know what I mean? You're a major success now. She's got a hard life. Let it go. <laughs> Sorry she didn't go to prom with you. You know, you got to let it go. Life, Life's treated you well. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh you know, another thing that we ask uh, songwriters sometimes, and I'd be curious to see what this is like for you in comedy, is, you know, you're always looking for the idea, right? You kind of, if you're a creative person, if if you're, you know, writing, your antenna is kind of, uh, kind of up. Um, and whether it be something that somebody says on TV or a conversation that you overhear in a restaurant or something that, you know, someone says to you, um, I'm sure there's always kind of that... Uh, you're always ready for that, that idea. Um, are you somebody who kind of like collects those ideas and maybe jots them down in your phone or whatever? And then you go and like, you have the discipline of like, I'm going to, I set aside this time of the day to work on writing or, or do you just kind of like hear something and, 
hey, I'm going to go over here and just kind of flush this out or flush it out on stage? Like, what's the process like for you from idea stage to to like having the final product? Well, typically I do about five hours of comedy a weekend when I'm when I'm on the road. I'll do I'll go to a club. I'll do one show Thursday, two Friday, two Saturday. So if I have new ideas, if things just occur to me, something hits me, um, you know, I used to go to open mics all the time. That's what I would do. I'd write an idea down and go to the open mic. But now I have so much actual stage time that I just take it to the club with me. And if I have something new, I'll just kind of throw it in in the middle and see what it does. If it gets a laugh, I'll try to grow it and try to make it make it a bit. And if it doesn't go much further than the little laugh, I may just keep it in or I may shelve it and then come back to it later. It's like, you know, I got a, a, a joke I'm doing now about my dad. And then um, I had this one little joke about home videos where I said my dad, my dad used to film everything. He filmed, every, I found a tape labeled Christmas and court, you know, <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what to do. Like that joke would get a laugh, but it was like just this little short thing. and I didn't know what to do with it. So I have this other bit now, and then I'm like, oh, I can put that little little thing right in here, and it just fits nicely. It gives me a nice little laugh point, so I can still tell my story, but I get a little punch, yeah, and then can can keep going with it. I got a lot of jokes right now. I got a Waffle House joke I'm doing that uh, I went to a restaurant with a guy. I don't want to do the joke, but I went to a restaurant with a guy in probably 2010 or 11. Uh, and I wrote it down, but I never could make it work for some reason. For some reason, people never thought it was funny. But then I just tried it again like last year. And for whatever reason, I mean, I'm a better writer. I'm a better comic now. But for whatever reason, this time it worked. And it's become this really good and funny bit for me now. Wow. Uh, and then because I got laughs off that little part, I've been able to grow it into a much larger thing and then wedge it in to an even larger bit that I have. So, you know, what was something just stuck in a notebook is now like, you know, a, a major bit for me huh. because I, even though I couldn't use it at the time, I didn't throw it away. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, you know, we hear that with songwriters as well. You know, this, this idea of never giving up on a song and sometimes it's either not finished or it's not the right time, you know, and just even that, that understanding that I know this is good. I'm not getting the response yet that I think it deserves, but my instincts are enough to tell me that this is good. I mean, I, I just uh, watched this documentary about Leonard Cohen that was all kind of framed through the lens of the song, Hallelujah, you know, his, his most recognizable song. And that song took him years to write. And uh, one estimate that one of his uh, friends had thrown out there was that he thought he had written maybe like 180 stabs at, at verses on this song. Wow. Um, which speaks so much to his persistence, but also his understanding that the core of what he had, he's like, I know this is good and it may not feel done yet. And it, you know, it may not feel like it's the right year or even the right decade for the song to come out. But I, it seems like there are times when you know that you have something, you just, you just don't know why or when, you know, it's going to actually find its, its spot. Yeah, with comedy, they say if um, if it's funny to you, but it's not funny to the audience, then you've just not figured out how to write it yet. Hmm. And I think that's right. I mean, because, I mean, it's like something makes me laugh and then I go and tell it on stage and the audience doesn't laugh. It really blows my mind. I'm like, why is this not funny? Why is this not making the audience laugh? 
And it, that's why actually I don't like to write physically write my jokes down anymore. I will write the idea down, but until I'm finished forming the joke, sometimes if I write it down and I go, I'll write it how I think it's funniest. And then I go on stage and tell it. And then if people don't laugh, then I have a hard time abandoning what I wrote because I'm like, I, it's like almost written in my brain now huh. to where I'm like, this is the funniest way to do this. Yeah. And I'll stubbornly keep telling it that way over and over again, even though people aren't laughing. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, ah, I'm going to get them though. <laughs> right. Right. You know, but then sometimes just something simple. Like the other day, I, some neighborhood kids were hanging out at my house and there's a kid Brody who's about eight and there's a kid Gary that's about five and my wife said to Brody the older one she goes I remember you when you were younger than Gary and he goes I have never been younger than Gary (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of brilliant (laughs) yeah yeah um well, you know, and, and like with songwriting, especially country songwriting and especially country songwriting today, it is rare that you see a song that is written by a person. And for a long time in country music, it was pretty typical. You'd see a song written by two people. And now it's almost always three, four five people. The artist is definitely going to be on there, whether they're actually a writer or not. You know, it's just like the 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 world has changed uh, in that way for songwriters. But like in comedy, um, you know, I think like Jim Gaffigan and his wife write together, you know, there's, I'm sure there's certain people that are like writing teams, but for the most part, like it's a, it's a solo pursuit. You know, you don't have that person in the room when you're like working out jokes to, to kind of bounce ideas off of and they go, no, that's good. Or what if we did this? Um, but you have like, you have the equivalent of that, which is that audience. Like as long as you're doing a show at a club and this is not a high stakes, like this is going to be recorded and be on Netflix or something. Uh, you, you do have that immediate thing of like, I tried this, it bombed. There's another show coming here at 10 o'clock tonight and I'm going to put a different spin on it. Oh, that worked. You know? So in a way the audience doesn't become your co-writer in that they are creating with you, but they serve that almost co-writer role and that you're getting that immediate feedback and it helps, you know, like this is good. This is better. You know? Yeah, I mean, the audience is, um, I mean, that is the fastest way with, with uh, you know, I know people that play in bands and bars and it's like, you know, I've talked to them about how, I'm like, it just seems like it's easier in a way, obviously playing the instrument's hard and all that stuff is hard, but I mean, it's easier because a lot of times the, you know, people in a bar might not even be listening to you. They're just, you're just playing, you know? And with me, it's like, they have to be listening because if they're not listening, even like I did uh, Margaritaville uh, not long ago in downtown Nashville, uh, Sirius XM does uh, their show there on Fridays during the day. And I did it once before. Uh, and I don't know why, but on that day, it went really great. It seemed like, and it's, and it's broadcast live on Sirius XM while it's happening. And for whatever reason, it went great that day. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from myself. I know that I'm good at comedy, but that's an environment where it shouldn't go well, huh, but it yeah. did. And so I did it again recently and I was like, this is going to be great. I can't wait to do it. They wanted me to do the five o'clock somewhere bit. They gave me 10 minutes, but they forgot. They didn't tell the audience that there was going to be a comic. 
they told the audience that the special guest was coming, right? So, you know, imagine you're a tourist, you're in Nashville, you're drinking at Margaritaville, you're listening to country music live on the radio, and they tell you a special guest is coming. You think it's going to be, you know, Jimmy Buffett uh, or a country singer that you love. And and then and I come out, probably a comedian that likely most people in that audience didn't even know. And they are not interested. So they're not... So they're not listening to me at all. Right. Um, so I'm bombing on the radio. Um, but it's like, in a situation like that, I'm, I'm bombing, in quotes, because they're not listening to me. Right. So it doesn't matter how good the joke is, they're not interested. They don't want to hear it. So right. uh, if I'm in front of an audience that's not listening to me, I don't know if the jokes are good or not. But, you know, if you're, if you're in a band, you're playing, I feel like if people start moving around, they're getting into it, you can see that happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. What's funny is you got, you know, two physical kind of uncontrollable responses at one extreme. You got laughing over here, you know, when things are funny, and you got crying over here when things are sad, right? Now, I can write a sad song, but the measure of my sad song is not that people literally have to cry in front of me. Like, if, if, if I go and play the song and everybody in the room doesn't cry, I don't walk away and be like, that song wasn't sad. I guess I, I have to make it sadder, you know, because people... <laughs> People can just like internalize it and say that was really sad. That that made me feel something. But if you don't, you know, if people That'd walk be a up, tough song to play every time. I think, yeah, everyone yeah. cried every time. You're and like, I don't oh, know people I lighten this up. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to even come again. So I don't want to come yeah. to that show. But you know, like for people to watch your show and sit there kind of stone faced and then come after us, be like that was funny. That's not going to work. Like you actually have to elicit the elusive response of actual laughter from people which seems like it's determined on so many different factors uh, whether they've had a couple of drinks whether they're in a good mood whether they're comfortable in their seats whether they can hear well enough all that kind of stuff i mean it really is an incredible challenge to pull a physical response out of people yeah i mean you know especially you know if the you know people like i went camping with these guys when i first started doing comedy and they were trying to get me to do jokes and i was telling them well you know with comedy you really need a little a bit of a you know i got a stage i got lights i got a microphone they're like oh just do the jokes just do the joke and it's <laughs> like i did do them but it's like people always think that i should be as funny in just uh in real life than i am on stage and there are some comics that are never off. I mean, they are constantly ready to go. But ever since I started like really being able to do comedy, I like to do jokes on stage and then the rest of my life just be normal and, you know, funny when it calls for it. But I'm not. I mean, when I was growing up, I was like doing everything I could to get people to laugh all the time, nonstop. But now I feel like I've got my outlet. I got my laugh meter in, you yeah. know. But uh, when you're, if you're, if you're in, doing comedy at a, at a theater and everybody's in seats facing right at you, it's like, you gotta, you gotta be real bad not to get laughs in that <laughs> environment. Right. Whereas in a bar where there's all these distractions and everything going on, the TVs are all on, on the side of the wall, it can be hard to get laughs. And, and, and you do the same jokes in a theater that you do in a bar, uh, you know. Yeah, you, you could. You, I mean, comedy is show by show. You could do one show, and you could do thirty shows, and think I'm the greatest comic ever, and then do one bad show. You're like, I don't even know why I do this. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, it's interesting when you talk about like, you know, people be like, and I would imagine that there's nothing more pressure, nothing more pressurizing than somebody just being like, hey, be funny. 
you know, like right. just turn it on. Like, not that we're here, that we've all come to a place that we're expecting what's going to happen tonight. You know, um, by the same token, I think there's expectations. Um, and I'm, and I'm, this must be a thing for comedians too, but like Paul's a professional songwriter. I used to be a professional songwriter for years. And the thing that we would get with people be like, Hey, you know, it'd be a great idea for a song. And you know, it's kind of like, yeah, your idea is not that great for a song because you're not a songwriter, you know? And like, they think, Oh, this is, I'm going to gift you this amazing idea. Like what if there was a song called, I love you. And you're like, all right, man, that's thick. Thanks yeah. for that. Uh, I can oh, imagine yeah. that that's infinitely even more so with like, Hey man, you should do a bit about this. You should do salad oh, bars, yeah. man. Have you done salad bars? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh yeah. They're like, Oh, my uncle used to smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. I bet you can use that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> that's a gold mine dude (laughs) yeah our people sometimes will send me they'll go can i send you some joke ideas on facebook or whatever and i'll always say yes i might because they might send something funny right but chances are it's not going to be funny it almost never is yeah and it and it's like because i just think there are, are are uh you know, some people have it right away. Some people never get it. But I think there are degrees to joke writing to where, you know, if you go to an open mic and there's a bunch of people there that have never done comedy and they're doing it for the first time, chances are their jokes are going to fall in kind of the same categories. It's going to be like just things they've noticed that they think are funny and they may be funny, but have already been talked about a million times. Yeah. Right. So we're all in the room like, OK, OK. Or it'll be real dirty, or it'll be just something real gross about themselves. That's usually how it goes. And then you, you you reach different levels. So if somebody's just sending you joke ideas, they're at that very bottom level. Right. Yeah. But I, I have had someone, you know, and uh, I don't want to give the joke away, but I had someone, I did a, I had a joke that I was doing, and then I had an ending. And a guy comes up, to, uh, he messaged me, and he goes, hey, after you end that joke, you should say this as a callback. And I started doing it. I was like, wow, that is a great idea. And I started doing it and it crushes. Hmm. So wow. every once in a while, you know, that guy will never get a co-writing credit. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it worked. And I was like, wow, I appreciate that. Yeah. But that's what we used to do for each other as comics when I was coming up. We would watch each other's sets and then go, hey, that's a good joke. Have you ever thought about saying this word instead of that word? Or instead of ending on this word, flip it around, end on that word. Yeah. Because with comedy, you know, I'm sure the same with music. I mean, words are very important. Word economy is very important. Don't have a when I'm talking, I'm a talker. I use a I say a bunch of stuff. Right. But when it comes to the jokes, I like to really get it narrowed down and be very direct. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's there's a few things in, in songwriting. They'll say, you know, one of the things they'll say is show me, don't tell me. And if, if you can illustrate something with a metaphor and, and you can, or describe the picture more than just saying, I was sitting in my car, you know, you say I had the steering wheel in my hand or something like that, where you can create like a yeah. tactile. And, you know, th- those are the type, you know, those type little things that kind of stick with you in terms of like form and function. Um, are there any like, just sort of like watch words like that, that, that comedians know to say to each other, like, you know, a, a keep it simple, stupid type of, you know, quick phrase that people throw at one another? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I think that, um, y- you know, it, the phrasing is so important. You don't want to give, you don't want to deliver your punchline and then there still be words, huh. you know, like uh, you want whatever word you end on that to be the punch. That's yeah. where it's funny. So how... Ha- 
So if you're if you're telling a joke and you're getting a laugh before you get to the end, then I'll try to go, all right, how can I restructure this to where I still get all the details I need out, but um, get them to laugh here? They kind of told you what your hook was, I guess. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, like, you know, it's like, um, you know, I just I, I try to think of an example, but, um, you know, I just think details are important. Yeah. Uh, but like you're talking about, like I, immediately when you said that, I think about this Jamie Johnson song where he says, um, the morning sun made its way through the windshield of my Chevrolet, yeah. whiskey eyes, ashtray breath. I mean, he could have said, I woke up in the truck hung over. Yeah. But <laughs> it got very descriptive and painted a much different picture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, when I'm writing jokes, I just try to keep it as simple as possible. What can I do to get to my point? Uh, as fa- how I want to get as many laughs as possible all the time. I want people laughing at least every 30 seconds, if not every 15 seconds, yeah. if I can hit them with a new laugh and I'm not, I'm not a fast talker, so I need to get there with <laughs> using the least amount of words. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, uh, for like, sure. uh, as opposed to say a Robin Williams. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Robin Williams and a Sin- Sinbad was a guy that they always talked about, said that he would go out and not have a set planned. Wow. He would just go out and start doing jokes. Now, I don't know if that means he's just got all these jokes already in his head, because I can do that to some degree. I mean, I could not write my set list down and go out and do an hour, but it's because I've already got all these jokes in my head. Yeah. 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 Um, well, for our listeners who might not know, you um, have your own podcast. You also are a part of a podcast called uh, Nate Land with Nate Bargatze. And uh, well, there's four of you on the on the show and then sometimes some some guests and very funny show. Uh, but you guys typically just uh, like pick a topic for that week and then you just start talking about uh, that topic. So the other day I was up, uh, I've got a cabin up in the mountains where we got four feet of snow. So I was out there shoveling snow listening to the entire episode you guys did about country music that came out uh, a week or two ago All right. and uh and you were talking about um you you dropped a couple songs long-haired country boy which paul mentioned you said was a favorite of yours and i think you mentioned uh time marches on which was written by bobby braddock who's who's been on our show and uh and you mentioned she's all i've got um the original uh actually not a, the original country version by by johnny paycheck it was originally an r&b record before before that which is that's one of those like uh great songs and, and i just thought you know this guy knows this guy knows music he knows good songs and there's got to be a, a cool way for us to talk about comedy while also talking about songwriting because i do think they're related you know in in some ways um and it's uh it's just cool to kind of pick your brain and get, you know, a different perspective on on something that's not what we typically do, but but fascinating. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I mean, I do love, I that's why I like country so much. I've always liked a storytelling song. I love them. But, you know, when I, I don't know who it was, but when I was growing up, Don't Take Her, She's All I Got was sung by someone else. I don't remember. Some 90s country guy was singing that song. Right. And I recently found... Uh, I did a little bit more of a deep dive on Johnny Paycheck. My friend was trying to convince me that he thinks Johnny Paycheck had the best voice in country ever. So I couldn't refute it. So I wanted to go and just do a deep dive on Johnny Paycheck. And I don't know if he's right, but Johnny Paycheck is great. The he's old amazing. Johnny Paycheck is really good. Yeah. And when you go way back to when he was Donnie Young before he was... Uh... 
before he was Johnny Paycheck. Oh, I don't even know Donnie Young. Okay. Oh, well, unbelievable. I'll get into that. Yeah, I think he okay. did some records as uh, Donnie Young. He did some records as Donnie Little. Like, he goes way back. But She's All okay. I Got is one of the best country records. Uh, uh, amazing. And that, I think it came out in 72. The guy who wrote it is named Jerry Swamp Dog Williams. It was an R&B song before um, okay. before Johnny did it. Uh, first African-American to ever be nominated for CMA uh, Song of the Year. Uh, wow. Swamp Dog. Uh, he's a character. For that song? For that song, yeah. That guy's, yeah. A, that guy's a character. He, he was maybe our greatest interview ever. He, uh, we've done 200 episodes. His is the least listened to, uh, the most entertaining, and by far the most profane. Yep, for uh, sure. But it, he, <laughs> he, he's like yeah, an old... To, tough to censor Swamp Dog. Out yeah. Of yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we went to his house, by the way, and he had a jukebox in the house. It was all his songs. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That's my kind of style. I wear a hat with my name on it sometimes. There so, you go. Yeah. You got to, you know, you got to remember, uh, you know, but to, to, to think about yourself sometimes, yeah. you know. Yeah. Treat, treat yourself. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, but, but uh, you know, I always say that country is the best, but, you know, country, country, I always say this too. I, I got a joke where I say, you know, country is the one genre of music people tell you they don't like, even when you didn't ask. You know? <laughs> You're like, hey, what kind of music you like? They're like, everything but country oh big polka fan huh (laughs) huge into classical music (laughs) um dusty thank you uh so much for coming on today and talking with us this has been a lot of fun we want to encourage everybody to check out dusty slay he's at dusty slay on all your uh favorite social media channels and especially check out his youtube channel uh look for dusty slay you can hear the amazing uh it's five o'clock somewhere stuff you can uh watch his his thing about his favorite country songs and uh a whole lot of other topics. There is a, a deep well of great Dusty Slay material that's bound to keep you laughing for a long time. So uh, thanks for doing this little experiment with us, coming on a show about songwriting and uh, and you know doing something a little different. This is it's been a lot of fun. Well, I appreciate it, and hopefully I'll come on here one time uh, later and talk about a song I wrote. Uh, Let's do I it. would like to write a song one day. I've just not done it. We are going to officially extend an invitation to you right now when you write your first number one hit song. We'd love to have you back. Tell us all about it. All right. Boom. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Songcraft, please take a moment right now to subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can keep up with us on Instagram at Songcraft Conversations or Facebook at Songcraft Show. To join our team and help support our content, become a Songcraft patron at patreon.com. Visit patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can always find us at songcraftshow.com. 